0: Welcome to week two of our Vision and Values series. Last time we remembered and reminded ourselves of how important vision is. We recognise that we become that which we behold. We reminded ourselves that actually what we do flows out of who we are and that is essential for a biblical understanding of vision and values. We reminded ourselves that our foundation is God, our faith in God, the fact we are created by God. We said in the beginning, God. God has revealed himself to us through his creation, through scripture and finally and most perfectly through Jesus, the Son. Jesus is the way, the gate through which we discover God. We recognize that over these six weeks, we're going to focus on seven words Son, Father, Spirit, Grace, Community, Kingdom, and Love. We may not come up with a list of values or a set vision statement, but hopefully, those seven words will open the door to deeper relationship with God, and from that depth of relationship, will flow a fuller understanding of God's character, God's kingdom, and the part we are called to play in that kingdom. Today, we're going to look at our second two words. We're going to look at the Father, and we're going to look at the Spirit. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus points us to the Father, but Jesus also promised us the Spirit. I'm going to look at those two aspects over the next 25 minutes. Firstly, Jesus points us to God the Father. He does that in his lifestyle and in his ministry, not just through what he said, but through who he was. For those first disciples who followed Jesus, lived with Jesus for those three years, they would be constantly encountering the Father through the Son. At Jesus' baptism, the Father declares, This is my Son, with him I am well pleased. Jesus' ministry operated within the authority and out of obedience to the Father. He says in John 5, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus points us to the Father in that most famous of prayers, the Lord's Prayer. Let me read it to you from Matthew 6. Jesus says, When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts um, as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. In a few weeks' time, ahead of our week of prayer and the beginning of Lent, we will unpack that prayer more fully. At this point, I want us to draw two key foundations. Firstly, God is our Father and wants relationship with us. Secondly, God is still God and is worthy of our worship. God is our Father then. Scholars inform us that the Lord's Prayer was not totally unique. Jesus is building on a Jewish liturgical prayer that would have been familiar to him and familiar to the first disciples. What makes it unique, what makes it part of our Christian heritage is the tone and the person that we are praying to. Jesus is not just modelling that he relates to God as Father. He's telling the disciples and us that we can relate to God as Father. The creator of the universe wants relationship with us as a father wants relationship with his children. Now, I know this is challenging for some of us. My own relationship with my birth father was complicated he was a good man, not a great dad. I have a stepfather. I have a much better relationship with him. My own experience of fathers is mixed. I'm sure if you ask my children, they would say the same. I'm not a perfect father. Sometimes we struggle because oppressive historical or present-day patriarchies. We struggle because of the breakdown of family, the lack of fathers, gender debates, a use of but abuse of power, past and present misogyny. And all of this can get in the way of seeing God as dad. But it's biblical language. It, it needs to be restored. It needs to be re- rediscovered. And in Christ it can be redeemed. Yes, our view of fathers can be shaped by our experience of fathers or fathering. But we want a biblical Understanding. We want a biblical expectation. And Jesus says to us, you have a perfect heavenly Father who wants relationship with you. But notice in this prayer, God is also worthy of worship. Jesus prays, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or greatly revered, or honoured is your name, or worshipped is your name, or holy is your name. Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, not my glory, no, your kingdom, your will here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying this. Before we hear more about the Father half-God, Jesus is reminding us God is worthy of worship. We are created for worship. Who are we? We are worshippers. We are hardwired for worship. Have you ever wondered why you love your friends, your spouse, your work, your sports team, your gadgets, your kids? Have you ever wondered why you love them so much? Well, it's because you're created to be a worshipper. I'm created to be a worshipper. We are created to be worshippers. We're hardwired. It's part of our DNA. Because it comes out of God. God creates us as worshippers and God is worthy of worship. And the trouble is that when we stop worshipping God, we've still got that worship within us. And where do we place it? We place it on food or money or family or work or this team or that team or this event or this gadget. We place that worship on other things. Tragically, we so often place our worship on things that damage us and damage our society. And it's because we are hardwired for worship. This daily prayer taught to us by God incarnate calls us to worship God every day give us this day our daily bread What's that say where well, it says yes God is concerned with our needs but also it's saying no you want to be you want to be in relationship daily you want to be worshipping daily what does the incarnation tell us it tells us that every bit of life is worship every bit of life matters it, worship is about putting our hands in the air on a Sunday morning it's about worshipping together and reading scripture in our life group but it's about work it's about family it's about being a good neighbour it's about how we do the washing up everything is worship And that is glorious because it means we can be being who we are created to be in every activity. We don't have times of worship, we are worshippers. And in that worship, we are constantly reminded God is our Father. Jesus points us to the Father in his prayer. He also points us to the Father in his parables, probably most famously in the parable of the prodigal son. I encourage you to read this parable in your devotions this week. Let me just read to you the very beginning from Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued... He's just told the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This parable, which you may know well, has become part of the English language. We use the phrase the prodigal to mean talk about lots of different situations. This word prodigal in both its Greek and Latin root actually means wasteful or extravagant rather than wayward. But we tend to use it in that sense. It's a wayward son or daughter who comes back, the return of the prodigal. Historically, this parable has been explained with a lot of focus on the first son. You know, here's this son, he asks for his money, which is basically him saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. The father gives it to him. He goes off, he squanders all his wealth on wild living. He comes back, the father forgives him. How wonderful. And that's there. Read the parable, it's there. But actually, more recently, we've been reminded that this parable is not about one son, it's about two sons. And it's about two sons with one father this parable is meant to reveal to us the heart of the father towards us a father who carries authority a father who owns the estate a father who has you know all power as it were a god who's worthy of worship but a father who gives freedom a father who gives choice and most importantly a father who never stops looking for his son. As we said, the context of this parable is of lost things being found because they were looked for. The lost coin, lost coin the, the woman cleans the whole house to seek it and find the coin. The lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and seeks the one. Here, The father looks for the son, seeks the son. We read, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He gives him a ring and a robe and sandals. The father runs to the son. The father doesn't give the son any time to make his little speech that he's prepared. Oh, I've sinned against you and against God. Can I be a servant? The son doesn't have a chance to do that. Why then does the father wrap his arms around this very smelly young man? Well, because the father brings reconciliation and restoration, not based on what the son's going to say, but on what's changed in the son's heart. Remember 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 tells us man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. The younger son doesn't get out his prayer of repentance because the father has seen the change in his son's heart, evidenced by him walking home and has run to him. The father knows, brings redemption, reconciliation and throws a party. And that would be a great place to finish the parable, wouldn't it? It's always good to finish with a party. Enter the older brother. He refuses to go in. In his anger, he separates himself from the father. Preachers have often commented on the uh, uh, incredible, uh, shocking nature of the father going to the younger son. You know, it says he gathered up his skirts and he ran. And we're told, well, first century fathers don't run. They certainly don't embarrass themselves. They would, they would stand and they would wait for the sun to come all the way up. And then once the sun had got through his speech of repentance, then he might you know, lay his hand on his head. No, this father, we're told, gathers up and runs. But here we have another shock. The father kills the fatted calf. That's a big deal. Scholars tell us that for your average party, a lamb or a goat might be killed. But for the big celebration, the big wedding, the big anniversary, you would kill the fatted calf. And to kill the fatted calf meant this is so big, everybody's coming. The village would be there. Picture the wedding that Jesus was at in Cana. Everybody's there. And when everybody's there, the most important person is the father, the the head of the estate, the person who is throwing the party. And this older son refuses to go in. So what should happen? Someone should go and say, oh, your, your son won't come in. And the father says, okay, leave him outside. But he doesn't. He goes out to him. The father shocks us twice in this parable. Firstly, by picking up his skirts and running on a dusty track to wrap his arms around a smelly son. But secondly, here, he gets up from the table. He goes outside. He reaches out. He reaches out to the second son, There's no words of discipline, simply a statement of love and provision. You have always been with with me, and all I have is yours. See how the Father heart of God is displayed. Why does Jesus include the older son? Because this is where he finishes the parable. There's no nice, neat ending. Why does Jesus include this second son? The first half of the parable is easy to understand, isn't it? This young son has gone off and done all the things you're not supposed to do. Gambled, uh, spent his money on prostitutes, thrown his money around, wasted on extravagant living. He comes to his senses, he comes back, he gets restored. Hooray, everybody praises and worships. We can all rejoice in the return of somebody who's done the obvious things wrong, whose lifestyle doesn't match up. But Jesus is telling this parable to the religious who were very good at judging other people's behavior. And of course that's why he includes the second son. Jesus is telling this parable because he wants them to see that the sin of the second son is just as bad. The first son lives his life in obvious unrighteousness. The older son lives his life in self righteousness. God wants relationship. The father wants relationship with the younger son and the older son. God wants real relationship. And what this older son has created is not real relationship, it's transactional relationship. He's cross. Because someone else is being rewarded. Because he's been working really hard. He's been working really hard and he deserves a feast. He deserves a blessing. He is revealing what is in his heart. He doesn't love the Father. He just wants stuff from the Father. If he loved the Father, he would be rejoicing with the Father as the Father rejoices. He wants the Father for what he can get wealth, status, and inheritance. But he doesn't love the father. And the father judges neither son. The father goes out to both sons. The father wants real relationship with both sons. The father promises inheritance to both sons. On one, he puts a robe and a ring and a sandals. On the other, he says, all I have is already yours. Jesus unpacks this parable because he doesn't just want us to think, oh yes, I can seek the Father. There's a Father out there somewhere who's open to relationship with me if I do the right thing. No, Jesus is telling us this. The Father is seeking us for relationship. The Father sees us. The Father longs to be with us. That's who we are. We're a people who have been sought. (laughs) We're a people who have not been left to die. We've been sought by the Father through the Son. That shapes who we are. And it shapes what we do because when we know we are seen by the Father, we can start to see how the Father sees. We start to see others as the Father Sees them. This parable catches us short, especially if we're stuck in a bit of religiosity. It reminds us, ah, we are seen and we are being sought out by the Father. And He's encouraging us to see others and seek them out. Jesus points us to the Father. But Jesus also promises us. The Holy Spirit. Jesus tells these parables and teaches this prayer to the first disciples because he, he wants them to see the Father long for a relationship with them. But he also promises them the Holy Spirit. As we discovered going through John last year in those chapters of 13, 14 and 15, we are told time and again the Holy Spirit is available to you. Another counsellor. Perhaps most famously in Acts chapter 1, Jesus reminds his disciples to wait for the Spirit. Let's remind ourselves of what it says in verse 4 of Acts 1. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We connect with God the Father through the Son. The Son points us to the Father in his prayers and his parables. The Son promises us the Holy Spirit. And we're still in the realm of relationship. Remember this. Although the Holy Spirit is obviously often described through the physical fire, wind, rain, water, light, we must remember that he is part of the Godhead. Remember another counsellor just like Jesus we're told in John. We're not stepping out of relationship into power when we talk about the Holy Spirit. No, we're staying in relationship and that relationship with God brings power because when the Holy Spirit is in the room, God is in the room and the God who is worthy of worship is powerful. The Holy Spirit was vital to the ministry of Jesus. In his humanity, Jesus operated full of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went out into the desert. Jesus modeled for his disciples this dependency on the Holy Spirit. As we read through the New Testament, we see time and again that the Holy Spirit is vital for the early church. But the Holy Spirit is not a creation of the New Testament. And actually what we discover is that it is through the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is fulfilling what God has always wanted to do with his people. What makes us unique, what makes us who we are, in fact, who makes us who we are, is the presence of God in our midst. Moses got this. This is what it says in Exodus 33, 15-16. Moses said to him, that's God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of of the earth. What is Moses saying? Moses is saying this it's, a, it's great that you brought us out of Egypt. It's great that you've given us the law. It's great that you've given us the tabernacle. But all that is external, that's stuff out there. What makes us unique is your presence in here, in the midst of your people. The only thing that separates the people of God from others is the presence of God in their midst. So it is with the church. That is why Jesus commands notice what it said next. Jesus commanded. That's how they remembered it. This wasn't a suggestion. this was a command. Jesus commands, wait for the Holy Spirit. Then you'll receive power. Then you'll be able to do all I've called you to do. Then you'll know exactly who you are in me. Wait, because it is the presence of God that makes the difference. There are lots of good people out there. Broken, but good. There's lots of creativity out there. There's lots of people who care for the poor. There's lots of people who are trying to do good things. don't despise any of that. What makes what we do unique? The presence of God. The presence of God. How has God presenced himself amongst us? Through the Holy Spirit. Therefore we must make space for the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. In this week's devotions, we're encouraging you to practically think together with one another, how do we do this? But just to give you a hint, it is about making space. We need to wait on God. Isaiah famously says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. We live in a rapidly changing world in which we increasingly work more rapidly. We need to slow down. We need to wait. We need to give space for the Holy Spirit when we gather on a Sunday in a prayer meeting in a life group, when we gather, we need to give space. Now, that can feel a bit embarrassing. If you're sitting in a small group in a front room and you wait for 30 seconds and it's silent, we feel like that's like two hours. Well, us external processes do. The internal processes just going, oh, you know what I mean? We need to make space when we gather. But we also need to make space when we are scattered. As we'll see when we start talking about the kingdom of God in a few weeks' time. We are seeking the kingdom, not creating the kingdom. And we seek it because God is already at work. The Holy Spirit is already at work. And so we need to make space when we gather what, what's God saying? What's God doing? What gift does what God want to bring? What does God want to mention? What, what are we hearing? What are we listening for? But also when we scatter, when we're in our workplaces and our homes and our colleges and our neighbourhoods, just, we need to slow down. Just ask the question, God, what are you doing here? What might you be doing in this colleague, in this person I'm standing next to in the bus stop, in my neighbor's life? right now what question might I ask that actually will just reveal Ah, the Holy Spirit is at work who are we we're children of God loved by the Father we are worshippers we are people defined by the presence of God through his Holy Spirit and therefore we must make space with the holy spirit to move amongst us and to move through us let's pray father god we thank you that we can even use that phrase father god would we keep hearing your voice would we keep making room for your Holy Spirit. Would you fill us afresh and would you lead us into all you have for us relationally and in the power of your kingdom. Amen.